The theme for the talk is the emptiness of I. Um, just before I uh, speak a little bit about the talk, I'd just like to uh, respond to a couple of things which were said in a small group meeting today with uh, Shada, which Shada uh, reported to me. And there was a rather thoughtfully and kindly uh, a request for uh, ourselves to um, um, teach a slightly longer uh, course that instead of uh, eight days, uh, ten, ten days. <coughs> of course, some of you um, <coughs> hearing that might be thinking, oh no. <laughs> um, and as uh, Shada uh, explained to the small group that various factors, one being a single parent, does uh, determine to a degree the number of days that I'm uh, overseas and uh, therefore the wish to uh, uh, return to uh, England and to that area and that role in, in, in my life. And the second which also accompanies that <coughs> is also the uh, question of pacing oneself uh, through the day, through the month, and through the years. And it's quite important, of course, that if one as a human being has the immense privilege of teaching uh, the Dharma and speaking of uh, living without uh, stress, fear, tension, and worry, at least it should manifest. Um, <laughs> Uh, at least to some degree. So, <laughs> in the context of uh, of that, uh, some uh, year, years ago, I uh, re-looked at uh, the year a little bit and just essentially shaved one or two days off here, one or two days off there, because I didn't have the heart to drop the retreats altogether. So there was a time when Shada and I were uh, about two weeks in California teaching, and now it's for a week, etc., etc. And um, in uh, all of that, there are many other uh, thoughts and concerns as well. And one of the other points, which was also very thoughtfully uh, mentioned, that is with regard to the one-to-one -one meetings. And... Um, in this situation here, in terms of the, the total number of people, there are very, very roughly, uh, Shara and I again speaking about this, roughly about 12% of people who are quite new on retreat, haven't been to a retreat before, it's your first exposure to such a situation as this. Then there is another 12% of the people on retreat who have done one, two or three retreats, and therefore the contact and exposure uh, is relatively new. And so there's a hardcore number of you, who, three quarters of you, who have done lots of uh, retreat and are primarily here for the food. <laughs> uh, and so... Dharma food, of course, uh, and 
And what does happen that when one comes into a place like this, and this is where the concern that was expressed was, that uh, one gets to know the way the system works. And one of the things that some people have got to know is, in terms of the one-to-one -one meetings, by leaving a note, in this case myself, uh, the probability of getting a one-to-one -one increases. And, and I think we tried to address this two or three years ago by removing the clip um, near the notice board with our names on. But then people found where well, they could just leave one's <laughs> name on a piece of paper on the board. And of course, if one sees one's name, one's kind of bound to read it. Isn't <laughs> and others even found their way into the staff dining room and leaving the note on our name uh, uh, in, in there. At the moment, we haven't really got a solution uh, uh, to, to this. But all I can say is that we're uh, discussing uh, ways to, to be, for it to be as fair as possible because it isn't possible for us to see everybody individually. And I, perhaps there are some people in the hall here uh, wondering why the one-to-one -one list has been full pretty well uh, uh, every day before the day has got un underway. And we may, will have to re-examine ways to make it a bit uh, more, more fair. Again, not, not easy with all of these things. And, and also, of course, there are other one-to-ones going on with people which are not even on the, on the list there for, for a whole variety of uh, reasons. <coughs> so having um, uh, said that, I'll try and remember what I was supposed to wanted to talk about with you this evening. Uh, and the position of I. In the instructions today, uh, and in one of the small groups as well, reference was um, made to what traditionally is called the three characteristics of existence. Rather technical language, technical term, three characteristics or features of uh, existence. And one of them is the field of uh, change and impermanence, and how as a Dharma practice and as a Dharma uh, teaching, and rather unusual in terms of any most spiritual traditions, we might say, is the tremendous emphasis which is given to witnessing the rising, the appearance, and the passing away of events, of experiences, of the day, of the moment, of the feeling, of the thought, of the body sensation, or whatever uh, it might be. And so that one gets used through practice, training, discipline and uh, focus to being quite clear and comfortable with the world of change. And this relationship to uh, the world of change, to seeing impermanence, is something which is very frequently, very clearly expressed on every single retreat, one could say, uh, that's ever taken place in this meditation hall. It's a characteristic of existence, field of insight meditation, that means meditation for insight, does say, really acknowledge change, not as a conceptual idea in life, but as a regular, frequent immediacy of experience, both at its gross level in life 
as well as its subtle level and never to veer too far away from those perceptions. Because when we do in life, we tend to enter into the assumption of continuity. And as we've been hearing in the inquiry, uh, in small groups and within ourselves, the assumption of continuity can provoke tremendous reactivity or pain or anguish in our existence because somewhere or other we've neglected to see change whether it's in its expression of birth and death whether it's in the expression of health whether in its expression of so-called success whether it's in its expression of um, um, evolution and progress and development whatever the form every one of those can carry an assumption of continuity and this belief and identification with continuity can be our pain and our anguish so rather than a kind of uh, a view in that way we try to address that view by bringing our attention and our focus to a very clear acknowledgement of the field of change. Because if we don't, that movement builds up position in life and change comes, as has been said several times over the days, for the obvious. Not because of I, but because of the conditions are possible for the change to occur. And those conditions for change to occur, if we look in a directional way, can come from within or from without. And the self, can, the I, can be quite helpless in the impact of the inner movement or of the outer movement, which produces change. We've surely, all of us, known the position in life where something has happened to us, therefore coming from without, and a certain support for our mind has gone, a certain assumption of continuity has been broken. We weren't ready, we weren't prepared for it, and, and we didn't realize that that support which we were leaning on with the view of continuity has changed and one does have in very experiential and tangible terms a collapse in the mind. It actually collapses. And that collapse within generates a suffering. And we can sometimes view that in terms of past and conditioning, habits and tendencies, view it in childhood experiences and reactions, and all of that, all of which might be helpful to shed some light on the circumstances. But nevertheless, there is still in the circumstances change, unwelcome, unwanted, unanticipated, collapse inwardly for a period of time of that change. And somehow the 
preparation or the understanding of living and being with the world of change hasn't gone deep enough inside of us. And the teachings and the practice, amongst many features, are to make this very, very clear. Nothing religious about it, nothing secular about it, nothing philosophical about it. It is that which we have contact with is brought about by conditions and the conditions can change from without. But the conditions of events also, as we know, can also change from within. And we find ourselves sometimes being kind of heir apparent to the movement from within, the impact that it has, and necessarily taking a responsibility, a sense of accountability for what moves from within and has an impact in the immediacy of things in the present. And that also can change things. The effect of change, inner and outer, and its movement, sometimes we are grateful for. Sometimes we're just delighted, thrilled with discontinuity. We're so pleased about some things in life which are over. Not just thinking of relationships. <laughs> so pleased that something is over there that there is an acknowledgement and a gratitude of a finishing, of a completion, of, of whatever it might, might be. And anything which you and I have a regularity of contact with, of association uh, with, can have, as we know, a cycle to it, um, a lifespan to it, and therefore on its completion. There is a feeling of finishing, time to move on. And a number of you are with that process at the moment. A number of you are intensely struggling with that. There's the question for the I. What does it mean if something is over for me to go from the known to the unknown? Sometimes, as I say, it comes from within. And the in, going from within, purposefully, intentionally casts one from the known to the unknown. One had a relationship to something, whatever it might be, it finished, and one doesn't know what is next. And sometimes we look at it and we say, ah, oh, it can come from directly from within, not from without. And, but if I do leave behind the known, what's next for me? I'm faced with the unknown, and the I gets into that movement that wave, that restlessness, that agitation, and one says, I feel shaky about it. I, I feel more steady, though it might be painful with the known, and the eye gets shaken around, and it is shaking backwards and forwards, and it's shaking between the known and the unknown. And it seems very real and substantial in that time of the eye. Why? The impact of events in terms of perceptions and experiences around what? 
around the relationship of I to continuity and discontinuity, to not changing and change. And the I moves in strength, in substance, in fear, in excitement, in belief or whatever around continuity, discontinuity, change and not changing. And this is our existence, not an imagined, created one. It is, this, this is our existence that's going on. And what is it to find a wisdom in the face of the known and the unknown? Of course, the impact of change and impermanence on our life not only can be be appreciative and grateful and happy for, but some of you have been experienced here, change which one isn't grateful for, which isn't wanted and isn't welcome, and it has that impact upon us. And the tendency, rather than just seeing change as change, seeing impermanence as impermanence, which we are encouraged to do, to keep a firmness and steadiness and that equanimity towards that. Tendency is that when it's unpleasant and unwelcome and there isn't that clarity and that steadiness that we've been speaking of, the mind and especially the thought will generate and produce all manner of reaction. It gets into self for other blame. It can't tolerate the change in face of existence. It's reacting to it. The reaction is there. The eye is infected in the reaction, of course. They go together and the world of blame arises. The unpleasantness has been identified with, the uh, intensified, and when it gains such a momentum, blame will come. And we start dumping the blame upon other, others, or ourselves. The blame isn't saying much, except we are not handling change very well. Not saying anything about dependent arising. Not saying anything about conditions coming together and it's a world of change that we experience. It's just saying that there's a reaction going on one's not dealing with the change very well or very skillfully. Why? Lack of awareness. Lack of being touched with the faces of existence. Lack of connection with dependent arising. Lack of connection with dependent passing. Not giving that serious attention in our life. And nature says, if you don't give it serious attention, you'll suffer. That's what it says. That's the kind of, put it in that personal language, the message of the nature. Live with dependent arising. Be aware of it. Be comfortable with it. Be clear of it. Suffering won't have a grip. Ignore it. Live on the assumptions of self and I. Pain will arise. Guaranteed. And sometimes it's like we're too lazy to look. We want to believe in our assumptions. 
We want to believe in continuity. We want to believe change will happen when we are ready for it. And when we, and when we feel like it, and when it feels good to have. And the nature comes along and says, stuff your assumptions. This isn't life. Life is dependent arising. Life is the field of things manifesting, coming and going. So the teachings of change and the teachings of uh, in contact with the field of dependent arising begins to put the I into a different kind of perspective. It makes a, a mockery of, I am the creator of all of this. It makes a mockery of, I have complete control over my life and other people's life. And so that practice, teaching, exploration, experience, working with, looking at, connecting with, helps and contributes to an understanding about life, about what it is to be born, what it is to age, what it is to, ex to deal with issues of day-to-day -day existence, what it is to die. And there's an integrity and an honesty and a, a directness and a straightforwardness about it. And so, what is it? so there's this, this I which uh, arises in that. And the I which arises in that and says, yes, but as one person was asking today in the one-to-one, -one, but what is this no-self? What is this? this teaching of no self the person says I have no experience of no self I, here I read it in these Buddhist books and I listen to the tapes and uh, I hear it in these talks or etc what, what, what's actually meant by that and it, itself the, 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 of, uh, of this uh, I arising and passing so easily and frequently we can have a sense of some kind of, well, everything may be changing, but I'm not changing. And, that the, and we can give it a continuity to the I. It's going to be a hell of an abrupt shock when death is knocking on the door. <laughs> so in the movement and the appearance of, uh, of I in the in the conditions of this extraordinary thing called I arising uh, in this world, it moves back and forwards. It appears and relates to, and it appears and relates to something else. So we all have the experience of the I location. And it says, sometimes, I I'm sitting here. And the eye's location is an association, and in this case, complete identification, with physical life. I am sitting here. Enormous conviction. Get the world six billion people. 
And, they, and there would be an agreement. I am sitting here. And the I, perhaps, what is meant by that? What actually is meant by I am sitting here? And is this I empty of something in itself? This I, I. And it's a kind of language shorthand. Because it's a hell of a mouthful to say there is this body sitting here with its elements and its biology and its genealogy and its uh, hereditary factors and its posture and its shape and its color and its form. Oh, such a mouthful, I am sitting here. <laughs> And so it, it's, it's an, abbrevi an appropriate abbreviation as a simple reference point for this particular shape and form at this particular time. And the I in relationship to physical life isn't always present. One may not have, as the person said, any experience of the absence of I in relationship to the body. But there are plenty of people in this room who do have. Not because they're trying to prove something that uh, the Buddha or sages of the tradition have spoken of, but their own experience sometimes has been very much, very simple and very direct there is just a state of awareness of bodily existence. That's all. No I. Just awareness, no language, no shorthand, no me, 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 I, 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 my, mine, mine going on whatsoever. Simply pure awareness of bodily life. Period. Simple consciousness of biological existence. Nothing, not a drop more to it than just that. Of course, the I can, right afterwards, arise and says, I, because it loves taking birth, I had this experience. <laughs> Of what? No, I. <laughs> Only the I will go where angels fear to tread. <laughs> so you pure awareness, pure experience, pure observation, pure bodily, no sense of like, just that event revealing itself in the moment to moment. Quality of that event, of course, can decline. The change can decline. Can the energy can go out of it? The resurrection of the eye can arise, and of course, the resurrection of the eye can arise. And it says again in normal everyday language, "I am sitting here," and it's of course completely appropriate with the eye to say, "I am sitting here." It is not a teaching of getting rid of the I, of extinction of the I, of having no I. It is not a dogma which says there is no I. 
some absolute belief system which meditators and Dharma students must believe in. It's the acknowledgement of the dependent arising of the I. The acknowledgement of it's not arising when the conditions are uh, not present for it to arise. Otherwise, what on earth are the sages and the Buddhas doing when they use the language of I? If they're putting out a message and saying, no I, and then ten minutes after enlightenment, the Buddha turns to an ascetic and says to him, I am walking from Buddhgaya to Benares. What business is he saying, I am walking from Buddhgaya to Benares, and then saying, there is no I? It would be uh, hypocrisy of an awful order. So, Shada laughs because she knows Buddhgaya so, so well. Um, there's the awareness. And, as I say, sometimes it's just pure observation and pure object. And the eye does switch its locality. The eye, which is with the body, can shift to no eye. It can shift to eye which is with the emotion. I'm feeling happy today, I'm feeling sad, sad today. What happened to the eye that was with the body? It's gone. There's no I with the body in that moment. It's all I of the heart. It's all I of the feelings. What about when the I goes to thinking? So this I is dependently arising, and it, when it dependently arises one place, it's definitely not somewhere else. Our minds would be in complete chaos. Can you imagine? I, 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 I. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not a bad... Um, <laughs> Some people know what that eye jumping from one thing to another. So it's all of its movement in its arising in one place and not being somewhere else keeps through the relativity of it revealing and showing to us the emptiness of I, the emptiness of a fixed place. The emptiness of a central, substantial I. Moving and not moving. Appearing and not appearing. Incredibly intensely present and extraordinarily transparent. This I, what to make of this? This Movement, in a way, moves in a way between the knowing and the known, between the uh, the seeing and the seen, the observing and the what's observed, the attention to and what we attend to, and so in that I. For some who have done a lot of hardcore meditation practice, insight meditation uh, tradition, look and say, these three characteristics of existence, 
one has cut through a lot of the dross of the mind, one is not infatuated with notions of substance and continuity, one's awarenesses and attentions want to be with the immediacy of things as they keep showing themselves. Cut through the projections of life, the fantasies of life, through all the personal storylines of life and, and all of that. Let's kind of get to the heart of the matter. And that's what we are and have been endeavouring to do and hopefully in our lives. Let's be really true to the way existence shows itself. And it's not too much covered up with how we imagine and expect and want things to be. We say, let's see how they are. Let's find the understanding in the way things keep showing themselves. Let's live accordingly to that. Perhaps there's a deep intelligence in that. And therefore we are, in every sense of the word, a good friend to ourselves, Because we are living to with, live with the I and its presence and its absence. The presence of I and the absence of I, the no I. We're willing to live with change and, and look at that, particularly in areas where we know we have assumptions. But it can happen for some of the whatever very dedicated and committed meditators and, and yogis and people amongst you very seasoned in these practices that the presence both on retreats and out of retreats can be such that that's one's only focus seeing the changes and impermanence of things being with the meditations in the here and now, watching with the diligence the arising of I, noticing at times the question which does arise for some, who is watching, obviously an important and profound question, noticing that the I can come back to that, and therefore the I can say, oh, I am watching. And knowing that that can provoke another question, who knows that I am watching? Who's observing this observation going on and a mirror kind of I, 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 which is going on? And sometimes one says, maybe it's just that the I has moved to make a claim over the normal human function of watching. And it makes a claim over it, and the eye moves to consciousness, to the watching, and says, I am watching, with tremendous conviction and certainty. Nobody else is watching. <laughs> well, they might be, but we'll give them that. But I am watching. But sometimes that substantial conviction, I am the watcher of my existence, Sometimes it's not quite so substantial. There's not quite that absoluteness of conviction that I am the watcher. And the I, which makes the watcher, can fade, can dissolve, can drop away. And there are people in this room who have the experience of no I, therefore pure watching.
pure witnessing. No sense of, I am doing it. That's where I come back to. I was in my, lost in my feelings, or I was lost in my thoughts, or lost in what was going on around me, or lost in my body. I've stepped back from all of that, and now I'm the watcher. Now I'm the observer. And sometimes even that conviction of being the watcher, being the observer, and therefore being in charge, sometimes that drops away too. And there's an unfettered purity. Not tainted with I, not infected with I who just loves making claims. No possession of holding of the watcher. And there's just a pure watching, and that pure watching is revealing life unfolding. No I in it. No I whatsoever. Just unfolding existence, watching of the watched. And as I said, the I can move backwards and forwards between the two. Associated with the watched, I am sitting here. Associated with watching, I am watching this body in this posture. Body becomes not I, I'm watching the body, it's an object, comes back to the watcher, I am the watcher of the body. I moving backwards and forwards as it has done for time immemorial, comes off one thing, it's no I on the other, on the object, because it's gone to the watcher. No I and I going on in this phenomenal existence. And there are people in this hall. Plenty of years of solid practice in watching, in observing, in being in touch with, in staying respectful and sensitive to, being connected with. Know this movement of the eye which I've been speaking about as it goes backwards and forwards. Know also as well the no-eye experience as I've been referring to in different ways. But it could be easy, easy, that that becomes one's only focus. Healthy, intelligent, wise, yes, skillful, yes, giving a realistic understanding of what it means to exist on this earth and to be with existence and the I and humanity of ourselves and others. Clear about all of that, but never, never let us imagine that that, therefore, is a kind of end in itself. To be aware of change, clear about it through experience and understanding, to be aware of I and no I, clear about it in experience and understanding, to be aware about something important, the other characteristic of something unsatisfactory about it. To live in a world where we're so easily buffeted and pushed around by dependent arising circumstances. To, to live with all of that, sometimes struggle with all of that. Sometimes, how is it I can feel so flow of joy and happiness and contact and communication and being and de that, that dependently arising in a, such a lovely way and a little bit of information dependently arising in consciousness from outside or from within can change it also dramatically in a word, in a gesture, in a moment. 
in a, in a, in a split-second event. And there's something unsatisfactory about it. Where's the release from it? Is that our life? Exclusively in the field of change, in the field of the unsatisfactoriness that's easily associated with it, and in the field of the presence of I in this world, of no I, and perhaps the terrifying thought of no I, absolutely, once and for all, called death. And as I say, some men and women of sustained years of practice could be viewing, rather narrowly and exclusively, their practice in that way. Immensely valuable, and never to underestimate the tremendous wisdom and intelligence that's therein. So as one person was saying in a small group today, what does one do? Because the key is liberation. The essence is enlightenment. It is understanding freedom. It is realizing the unmade, unformed, unconditioned. And so what some will say, as, as one person said, and others will say, perhaps it's just necessary, and it can be an appropriate and skillful response, to allow naturally and spontaneously a kind of inner evolution, we might say, an inner fulfillment of development, which comes naturally into those three characteristics to begin to intimate to us what the consummation of all the teachings are. Not, which are not found in being just dealing with impermanence, just dealing with unsatisfactoriness, or just dealing with no self and self. And some would say, Let, perhaps there would just be a kind of evolution or an evolvement or a development which just would begin to bring some intimation of uh, freedom in life, of liberation, of, which is to find the unconditioned. And others will say, and as some of you do at the beginning of your meditations or at the end and in other circumstances, may I be liberated. May others be liberated. May I be enlightened. May others be enlightened. May I realize the ultimate truth. May others realize it. May I discover the unconditioned. May others discover the un unconditioned. And so for some, there is a, a genuine heartfelt intention there. But there are plenty of cases, situation pe and people, in this hall as well as outs out outside of it, who do have wish, consciously or otherwise, to kind of wait for the spontaneous sense of the consummation of the teachings to come. And frankly, that waiting can be a long, long time. And the thought will arise to reinforce that weight of all human beings living, living in the relative, living in the field of the three characteristics of existence. The thought will arise pretty well without exception. I am not ready. 
That is part of the feature of living in the relative. The mind never can feel ready. There's always, it seems, more things to address, more to look at, more to face, more to understand about an impermanence, about unsatisfactoriness, about no self and so. More to go deeper, more to explore, always. At what point is a human being going to say, I've been observing enough. Who on earth is going to be so bold as to say, right, I've looked into these three characteristics, right, enlightenment. <laughs> I've finished my 48th retreat. Okay, I'm ready for it. It would be a conceited thought that would think in that way. And one would need to have a look at that ego which says, I am already for the big one. <laughs> so, a sense of unreadiness in relationship to humanity and existence, normal feature. It's a kind of healthy feature. It has some Authentic humility to it. How could I ever be ready to know that which the Buddha knew and spent his existence talking about as other men and women have, have done before and after? How could I ever be ready for that? And it might be, and this is where awareness and looking at our existence matters, it might be necessary, vitally necessary, for some people to, in a way, Bring a bit more boldness. Where is the liberation? In this field called the knowing with the known. The watching with the watched. With the eye present or the eye not present. To look outside of it is to look in the wrong direction. It is to create a duality between this, what I call the world, the characteristics of existence, and to make a separation and think nirvana, truth, liberation is somewhere else outside of, of, of that, is to be generating a duality and all the problems of being pushed and pulled between one end of the duality and another. The truth is before our eyes. It's closer to us than the thought. That truth which liberates, not our efforts, not our striving, not our struggling to see, not our fighting to comprehend. Sometimes we need a little boldness just to introduce. Where is the enlightenment here? Where is the unconditioned here? Where is the liberation here? and to be patient, and to meditate on that, and to contemplate on that, and to abide in, in that, with all the difficulty that it can generate for I, all the uncertainty that it might create, all the movement and the thinking that one might risk, all the, all the, the loss of peace of mind, because one's dared to introduce something called liberation right into the field. But it's not outside of it. Never. 
Never, never. Therefore, our relative wisdom, our relative intelligence, our relative truth is just not for itself. It's as though then we can almost forget heart, mind and body. Almost as though we could forget heart, mind and body. To have a sense of something other which is intimately close and which no event of life can destroy. Not birth, not ageing, not this, not that. Indestructible. May your beings see into the nature of things. May your beings penetrate into existence. May your beings realize a naturally liberated life. couple of quiet minutes together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.